Sometimes you just don't know where to begin. Things are so good and so insightful and so full of meaning and insight and help and hope. Just don't know where to begin, but we're gonna plunge right in today on Faith Is. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens, and I'm so glad you've joined us today. We're going to look at one of the enduring struggles of all time, David and Goliath. Everybody loves an underdog. I love an underdog, you love an underdog. We love it when the underdog wins. In fact, years ago, I don't know if it's still out there or not, but there was a cartoon series called Underdog. An underdog was always there to save the day. We all love an underdog. Well, we all love an underdog until God calls us to be the underdog. I wonder what God might have for you to tackle today, tomorrow, this week. I wonder what giant out there needs someone to step up and in the name of the Lord of hosts, take care of business with that giant in the land. Well, we're going to look at the story of David and Goliath, and we're going to ask ourselves some important questions like the threat to Israel was to be enslaved. Did God want them to be enslaved? Does God want his people today to be enslaved? What did David know when he went to King Saul and said, I'll take care of business with the giant, just let me at him. What did he know that Saul didn't know? And, and we wanna take a look at uh, who was really fighting out there. Was it really David versus Goliath or was there something more going on that we sometimes forget to think about? And today, have you ever noticed, and if you have it, it's time to notice, today we face some giants some giant obstacles to God's will and God's way. There are giants in the land that are defying the living God, and God is looking for people, people like you, who will stand up and say, God can count on me. With God helping me, that giant is sure to fall. Well, thanks again for joining us, and we want to inspire each other today. And I want you to take another look at this story of David and Goliath. It's been told and retold so many times. And even if people don't know the story and the details of the story, they understand the concept of David and Goliath. And they, most people know David won, and he did. So let's take a look and see what's going on. Let's answer some of these questions. Let's ask God to inspire us. Because really, if we look at the Bible and it doesn't do anything to help us live our lives, it's just information for information's sake. And God wants us to hear what happened in ages past so that we'll know what he can do for us now. God hasn't changed. He still wants us to take on the big issues of our day. He still wants to prevail because his spirit is with us. He still wants truth and justice to, to win. He just needs us to be willing to engage and not run away in fear. Too many people in the story of David and Goliath stepped back instead of stepping forward. Too many people would not shrink to God's call or would not stretch to God's calling. They sh would shrink away from it and run. And God says, stretch, I'm calling you, I'm counting on you, I wanna help you. And that's what he wants for us today. So again, I'm glad you joined us and I give a quick shout out and thanks to the people at my church who helped make this possible. I am a pastor of a local church. I, have been a pastor here for more than 20 years. I'm in Cape Coral, Florida at Diplomat Wesleyan Church, and they're very encouraging and supportive and hopeful that these broadcasts will help you and encourage you and perhaps 
in a way we will never know, move you in God's direction. Because we want everybody to have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And David did. He had absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. And as you've heard me say before, that is what faith is. Absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Well, let's get to the story of David and Goliath and set the scene a little bit. Then I want to read some of the text from 1 Samuel 17. And it starts out when the armies of the Philistines and the armies of Israel face off from opposing mountains, uh, mountain ranges, you might say, that faced the Elah Valley or the Valley of Elah. And they lined up, stood up, ready for battle, but they didn't engage the battle. Instead, a champion, a giant, Goliath, Philistine came out and challenged the army of Israel and said, come and get me, take me on. I'll fight. You send someone to fight and whoever wins, that will determine the outcome of the battle. We don't need to have a battle. Let's just take it on here, man to man. Well, he did that repeatedly. He challenged Israel and that wasn't really an uncommon thing to have happen. Often champions would go forth on behalf of their army to fight a battle. It saved a lot of uh, a lot of bloodshed, a lot of loss. And so that's what he was counting on because he was huge. He was over nine feet tall, a, a true giant of a man. It's not just a hyperbole to talk about that. He was a big fella. And he went out there and he challenged Israel for 40 days. Twice a day, he would go out and defy Israel and challenge them to a fight. And in 1 Samuel 17, it says, when, when they heard Goliath's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. So it gives you an idea of what was going on. In the context of that, Jesse, David's father, sent David to check on his other sons that were there as part of the army. And he sent some supplies, and they took the, David took the supplies to, to his brothers and presented them to them. That was also common. It was expected that people who were nearby a battle were expected to send provisions for the soldiers who were fighting it. So Jesse doing that wasn't at all unusual. And indeed, in the text, it talks about how he, he instructed David to make sure you bring back what amounts to a receipt so it could be proven that he had done his responsibility. So David goes up and and sure enough, and there's a little more to the story than, than I'm telling, we'll leave a few things out. You can read that in 1 Samuel 17. I hope you will. And he, David goes up and he hears Goliath's challenge. He hears him come out and defy the army, and he sees the reaction of all the soldiers and, and the great fear that, that went throughout the whole camp of Israel. And it kind of surprised David, and, and he kind of stepped up and said, well, I'll, I'll do this. There a little bit of conversation between him and his brother. His brother wasn't too impressed by David being there. But nonetheless, in verse 32, we pick up the account where David goes to King Saul and begins to talk to him about how he's willing to take on the Philistine giant. Verse 32 of 1 Samuel 17. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man, and he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, 
I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield-bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was a little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and now give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Well, that's the story as told in the New International Version. And we want to take a look at some of the details of that story. And again, try to put together what's going on here and what it means for us. Well, one of the first things that caught my attention when I began to study this story from a little different perspective was that, that David said to Saul, don't lose heart. And I look around the country today and I look at church people and people outside the church who are concerned and people are becoming more and more discouraged. People are losing heart. They're saying there's no hope. Things are getting so bad, they're just going to get worse and worse and worse. And similarly, it looked bad for Israel. It looked terrible. But David stepped up and said, don't lose heart. I'll fight this Philistine. And it's real interesting in the way the Bible tells the story right there. When David talks to Saul, he refers to this Philistine. He doesn't mention him by name. And in the Old Testament, in the, old, in the ancient times, when you didn't use someone's name, it was a sign of disrespect. And so even then, David was demonstrating that this Philistine had done what he shouldn't do. 
and he didn't deserve the respect of God or God's people. Well, Saul naturally didn't think David could handle this very easily at all or should even consider it because he was truly a young man. If you remember from the earlier in the story of David, he was the young son who was out watching the sheep. And so he didn't have experience. He was still watching the sheep when his father called him to go check on his brothers. And he wasn't an experienced warrior. So there was no apparent qualification that David should have been able to fight. But David said to Saul a few things that Saul didn't know. And he talked to him about how he had taken on lions and bears to rescue the sheep. How when the lions and bears turned on him, he just killed them. Uh, it sounds rather matter of fact, the way the text tells it. I, I can't imagine it was quite that simple when David did it, but it showed his determination. He wasn't going to back down and he was going to protect his sheep. And he did. And it showed Saul that he could take on this Philistine. And, and further, David said when he was giving his, shall we say, qualifications to the king, he said, this Philistine will be just like the lion and the bear. He's defied God. And, and that's a very significant observation. We should not overlook that, that what was going on here wasn't just against an army. It wasn't just one army against another. It was really defying God. And, and in an honor and shame culture, which is what that was, in an honor and shame culture, as you know, is where you had to be careful to make sure that you collected honor and avoided shame. Well, in this honor and shame culture, Saul and the Israelites had been dismayed and terrified for 40 days. Twice a day, this Philistine had come out and defied God and challenged them and terrified them. And so they were living under the shame of of not having a champion willing to go out and fight him. And that was a devastating thing. You just didn't want to live with that kind of shame. But David assured the king, David assured Saul, the Lord will rescue me. In the same way that David rescued the sheep, David was confident the Lord would rescue him. And so finally, and, and it seems like there must be more to it than this, and I don't know that there is really. We're not told that in the text, but but finally, Saul says to David, well, go and the Lord be with you. And of course, that's the key. When David was going, he needed the Lord to be with him. And as we see from the story, the Lord was with him. So they tried to help David and give him all the usual help with armor and so forth and a sword. But, but David had not had any training with that, had not practiced with that. It didn't fit him. And so he immediately abandoned the idea and instead approached Goliath for the battle with what he had been familiar with, what he had used to fight off the lion and the bear. That was his staff, five smooth stones and a sling. Now, the five smooth stones were significant. They, they were likely pretty hefty stones. They weren't just little skipping stones that we might toss across a creek. They were likely the size of a tennis ball, or one source I consulted said they were the size of a man's fist. So they were, they were hefty. They were hefty stones. And they had to be smooth, and he chose them purposefully because he wanted them to fly straight. Because they could be very accurate with slings in those days. Uh, in fact, there were armies that had slingers in their army. And they were remarkably accurate with those, with those stones that they used. As, as ammunition after the enemy. And at a short range, they could be surprisingly effective. And so David knew what he could do with that because he was well-practiced and he knew the art of, shall we say, 
slinging. Well, he approaches Goliath and Goliath approaches him. Goliath closed in on David and he, when he saw him, he despised him. Goliath seems to have a bad habit of despising. Have you noticed that? Well, here he despised David and he cursed David by his gods. Hmm. Wow. Talk about trash talk. That's what's going on here. And it wasn't unusual in those days. And, and it's interesting though, that, that the text as the, the writer of the story tells the story to us again, the Philistines gods are not named. Now from other sources, we can find out their names, but they're not named here. And again, that's a sign of disrespect. The author was disrespecting those gods because failure to use their name was a sign of disrespect. But David, David's response saying that, that he came in the name of God and, and his God's name was Yahweh just reinforces what's going on here and what we need to observe about the battle between one army's gods and the other army's true and living God, Yahweh. Trash talking goes on and Goliath says, am I a dog? <laughs> and referring to David, you know, uh, like, who is this you're sending out against me? And David's response, you could, you could sum up in a different way. It doesn't say it this way in the text, but David's response was more or less, well, no, you're, you're worse than a dog. And so here they are, the battle is set. And uh, David says to Goliath that you bring weapons to fight this battle and I bring God and you defied God. David goes on to say to him, the Lord will let me kill you and the world will know God. The Lord doesn't save with the usual weapons, with swords, spear. He will give you to us. Now that's quite an interesting statement. And that's, that really is the theological framework for the story. This seems to be a battle between a giant Goliath and a young man, David. But here, David is saying that, that what's going to happen here is I'm not going to defeat you. God is going to give you into my hands. In other words, God is the one that's fighting this battle, and you have defied the true and the living God, and he will not let that stand. That's something we really need to, to focus on. So much of what goes on in our world today is people are defying the one true living God. And they think they can get away with it. But God will not be mocked. God will not turn and look away. God knows what's going on. And God will take care of business. And in the same way, God gave Goliath to David. When God's people stand up, God will fight the battle for us and we can prevail. We just have to stand up. We just have to fight. And yes, we'll get into that a little bit more as we go along, but don't forget this. David is clearly saying, pivotal observation here, that God will give you to us. Goliath, you don't stand a chance. You look like you're the strongest, the biggest, but you don't stand a chance. God will give you to us. So let's unpack that even a little bit more now before we go on. Very important observation. In ancient times, they understood that when armies went to battle, that the army with the strongest God would win. It's true when Babylon came against Israel and had this showdown, and in 
in the book of Daniel, first verse, it tells us how God gave Nebuchadnezzar to the Babylonian army because Israel had sinned and sinned badly. Here, David is saying, God is going to give you to us. It's not about the strongest and the greatest. So, so when they went out to battle and they believed that their gods would ultimately determine who won, the, the army with the strongest god would have the ultimate victory, they looked at how things appeared. And so when Goliath came out with his massive size and massive armaments, his weapons, his sword and his spear, it appeared that the Philistines had the strongest god by all evidence that they could see. It looked like they were bringing the strongest god, which may be why the Israelite army was terrified. They were looking at the wrong things. David, on the other hand, as he advanced toward Philistine, didn't look like a warrior at all. He was just carrying his usual weapons that he had as a shepherd, the things that he would use to fight off the predators of his sheep. And so by all appearances, Goliath was the one with the strongest God. And they tended to believe that, but David said, no, that's not the case. God will give you to us. God is fighting this battle. So David charged out to Goliath and took out his sling and slung a stone, and that stone sank into the Philistine forehead, and the Philistine fell face down. Now, it's interesting, the detail there, and I'm not sure that that's an accident. I think that idea that he fell face down is absolutely significant. Not only did, did David take him out with that stone sinking into his forehead, what a, what a blow that must have been. Unbelievable. But the Philistine fell face down. Now, ancient people often prostrated themselves before their superiors. So if they came into the presence of a king, they would prostrate themselves face down before the king. It was how they showed the king honor. The king was worthy of honor, and so they would fall down face down before the king to demonstrate that they were honoring the king. This Philistine giant had made no secret of the fact that he despised the God of Israel, and he despised Israel, and he despised David. He had bragged about how his gods, his gods would curse David and David would lose. But now we see that God has prevailed and the Philistine fell face down before God, showing all of the world who was the ultimate victor in this battle. See, that's another thing that we, the church, need to re remember is that the Bible says that one day everyone will bow before God. It also doesn't say we have to wait till then for God to, to deliver his people from evil, for God to rescue his people from the enemies around us. It doesn't say we have to wait for God to intervene to make the wrongs right. It promises that one day he will, and there's no question that one day he will. But here in this story, it demonstrates that God will fight for his people even now. And we need to take courage and to step up and not be afraid of that. You see, God will fight for his honor. And, and 
Goliath ridiculed God, cursed gods, and, and, and he cursed David, who was God's, God's anointed person for this hour. And you see, David would not surrender. And, and in this whole honor-shame culture, David realized that someone had to stand up for God's honor. And, and we need to realize today that we need to stand up for God's honor. We need to stand up and, as it were, join the battle to advance God's kingdom. We often pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It's time for us to find our five smooth stones and step up in the battle. You see, when we surrender in life's battles, we set God up for shame. And when we let the things that defy the living God go unchallenged, we surrender God to shame. And I don't really think we want to do that, and I don't really think we're conscious that we're doing that, but we need to recognize that when wrong seems to prevail, or when it really does prevail, then it makes God look weak, and we need to stand up so that God is not shown to be weak. And people say, well, we can't win a battle. Well, how do we know we can't win? We should at least honor God enough to try, shouldn't we? Shouldn't we step up to let people everywhere know that there remains a faithful remnant that stands up for what God calls truth, that knows the difference between right and wrong, that understands that we need to be faithful to what God has called us to do and to be? I like what someone said. I heard it just this week. The church doesn't lose until it quits. I thought that was really good. I thought that was really helpful. All my life, it seems, I've watched people give reasons why they shouldn't. And here's David comes along and gives reasons why he should. Seems to me that we ought to learn a lesson from that because these giants will come up all the time. There's no shortage of giants. And it seems like to me, it's about time that some of us were able to say to them, look, there is a true and living God and we're not backing down. There are many examples of that in the Old Testament. This is just one of them. And, and sometimes the people defiantly said, you know, you might kill us, but we're not backing down. We might not survive this ordeal that you have set up for us, but we're not going to quit. We might struggle, but we're going to struggle with everything we've got, because we're going to stand up for truth, for honor, for God. I heard recently someone described himself as a remnant Christian, and I thought that's an interesting word, and people are struggling these days to come up with descriptions of what kind of Christian they are, because some of the descriptions that we've used in recent years are kind of falling on hard times, and understandably so. Uh, descriptions change over time. I don't think that's anything to be too worried about, but I liked what he said that he was a remnant Christian. And what he meant by that was he was one that was going to stand up for what the Bible says. He was going to stand up for, for God and who God is. He wasn't going to back down in the face of challenges. He wasn't going to back down when, when people would call him one thing or another or accuse him of one thing or another. But he was going to be a remnant Christian, a Christian who took God at his word 
and believed God and was faithful to God. You see, that's a little bit the description of someone who has absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. That's what we mean when we say the, the point of following Jesus is to change your life and give allegiance to him. And that hasn't changed since the Bible was written, that God wants us to be faithful, that remnant of people that he always preserves that because he needs a faithful people to accomplish his purposes. He needs a faithful people to pray and to live, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It, that sounds like a cliche because we pray it often in the Lord's Prayer. It, I guess, is a cliche, but it's still true. And the church doesn't lose until it quits. And God wants his faithful people to stand up for him, even when it looks like they don't have a chance. That's how it seemed to David. But we find out that God is stronger than any other gods, and Goliath fell face down and worshiped him. Why are we so reluctant? Why do we think that the challenges of our day can't be met and that they won't fall face down before God? It's a good question for the church. It's a pressing question for our time. If you will, it's a question for all of us. How is God asking you to be his champion? Now, you might not go to the Valley of Elah and stand up to Goliath, but there's someone in your life that you can influence. And we're going to talk some more specifically about how we can be those champions after we take a break in just a moment. But I believe you are the kind of people that have absolute confidence in God, and together we can stand up for him. So hang on. We'll do that after this. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. The cancel culture is determined to destroy our history, bringing violence and terror to city streets. America Out Loud will enhance its own message of love and honor for the American traditions and constitutional values that have always been the backbone of what America means. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. America Out Loud Talk Radio liberty and justice for all. Well, here we are 
are back after a brief break. We're talking about underdogs. We're talking about David and Goliath. We're talking about how the church needs to stand up and how the people of God, the people of God, the church doesn't lose until it quits. And we talked about how we need to remain faithful, how we need to stand up for God's honor and how God helps his faithful people. And even if we don't prevail, we have still stood up and honored God by trying. We shouldn't be naive to think that, that the battle isn't huge and, and uh, risky, but we should be confident because we trust God and we know that when we stand up for him, we stand on the right side. So let's take a little different approach to, to understanding this story a little bit more and, and understanding how it might fit for our day. Let's ask a few questions and then answer them. And some of them are obvious and maybe some of them aren't as obvious, but, but I've got a few here and, and we'll just take them one at a time. So first of all, think with me and, and we're kind of thinking out loud here. Is that okay? Of course it is. Did God want Israel to be enslaved? Now, see, that was part of the challenge between Goliath and Israel one army was going to be victorious and would enslave and kill some of the other army. And so part of Goliath's challenge was, let's just have one person fight, and then the other army will submit to the, to the victorious champion. So the question is, when you think about it, here's God's army and the Philistine army, did God want Israel enslaved? Well, the obvious answer is no. God isn't pleased by people being enslaved. There, there's no place in the scripture where it says God is honored when his people are enslaved. Now, yes, there are places in the scripture, the exile is one of them, where the people were taking, taken into exile and away from their homeland, but that was because they had sinned and sinned repeatedly. God had warned them, and they refused to listen, and God had to bring correction. That's what he did. Today, when, when you ask those kind of questions that should Christians be subject to, usually the word we use is persecution, we don't talk about being enslaved, but people ask themselves or talk out loud about these kind of ideas, and they'll say, well, why should we be exempt from persecution? Other people weren't. And, and today, too many Christians, when, when faced with that challenge, respond rather weakly like, well, maybe, bless God, we should be enslaved. Well, in the story of David and Goliath, that was the farthest thing from David's mind. He didn't believe that was what should happen at all, and he went to bat trying to liberate his people. Now, sometimes people will say, well, but the church grows under persecution. In spite of all the difficulties, the church gets stronger. And, and yeah, well, that's a lot of times true. But is it the growth of the church? Is, is that the result of persecution? Is persecution the cause of that, or does God help the church in spite of the difficulties? And we need to think more deeply about some of these kind of things, because here we definitely see that God did not want his people enslaved. He wanted them liberated. Or, or sometimes I, I'll hear people say, well, you know, we shouldn't get too excited about these things or too upset by these things. Oh, we just need to, uh, well, we just need to pray. So if we pray that God's will would be done, then we can be confident that God will accomplish his purposes. Um, well, can I be blunt? Sometimes people say I'm not blunt enough. Well, get ready, fasten your spiritual seatbelt. Here it comes. Been around the church for a long time. I've heard this idea. Well, we just need to pray, trust God. 
And I've discovered that that statement is code for let's do nothing. We don't want to do anything. We'd rather just sit by and watch what happens. And you know, Israel sat by and watched what happened for 40 days while Goliath defied the God of Israel, the one true living God. And David said, enough's enough. And we need to engage the battle. And, and we can't do nothing. We, we, we too often assume that, that if God wants it to happen, he'll make it happen. Well, God wanted it to happen. And how did he make it happen? David. And if God wants things to happen in our day, he's looking for you. And whatever you can do, don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. Don't say, it's, I'm, I'm just. If you're a follower of Jesus, you have everything you need to engage the giant that God brings across your path. And you can win. And you can trust God. And it's a whole lot better to try and fail than fail to try. Now, now why can I say that? Well, consider this question. What did David know when he went to talk to Saul about being the champion for Israel? What did David know that Saul didn't know? Well, David knew what I know about you as a faithful follower of Jesus. David knew what had happened to him when Samuel came and anointed him. Now, David didn't say to Saul, well, I'm the next king, so I'm a big shot now. You need to listen to what I do, and I can do this because I'm going to be king. No, that, David didn't say that at all. But David knew that something had happened when Samuel anointed him to be king. And something happens to you when you become a follower of Jesus. And maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, but you aren't. I want to urge you to pray a simple prayer and tell God you're going to change your life. You're going to, you're going to reject your sinful habits. You're going to walk away from those, and you're going to give allegiance to Jesus and follow him. And when you do that, when someone commits their life to Christ, then the Spirit of the Lord comes to them and makes them new. When Samuel anointed David, the Spirit of the Lord came on David. And we know from Pentecost and from the witness of the New Testament that when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to them and gives them gifts of grace to engage the enemy and to win the battle. That's what David knew that Saul didn't know. That's what I know about all of you that God has given you gifts of grace to engage the battle and to win. We need to give thanks. We need to humbly go in the strength the Lord gives us. Absolutely, it's not because we're so great, but it's not because we're so small. So many people shrink back and surrender because, well, God can't use me, and well, God's probably got somebody else in mind, and I'm just a lowly person here, and I don't want to call attention to myself, and I don't know what other excuses we could go on and on with. But the bottom line is, nothing happened in the story of David and Goliath until David said, I'll do this. And when the Spirit of God comes to you as a follower of Jesus and says, I want you to do this, you need to step up and step out and stretch for what God wants you to do. Stop shrinking. We need champions. God needs champions. And you can do this. Now, you might be thinking, well, that all sounds good, but I don't really want to do it. Well, let's ask another question and see if we can find an answer to it. 
Did David want to fight Goliath? Did David have that in mind when he went up to visit his brothers, when he took supplies up for the soldiers? No, he didn't want to fight. Do you think David wanted to fight the lion that attacked his sheep? Do you think David wanted to fight the bear that attacked his sheep? I think he would have rather the lion and the bear just walked on by and left him alone. No one really wants to take on those kinds of things, but when we aren't given a choice, we have to decide, will I stretch toward what God has called me to do, or will I shrink from what God has called me to do? I don't think it was in David's mind at all that he wanted to go out there and fight Goliath. He didn't go up there with that in mind. He did it because he knew it and had to be done. And he believed God was with him and God would help him. And he believed that God would fight for him. And that's what we need to recapture. The conviction that God will fight for us and that we can trust him and that he will help us in ways we don't even understand or imagine. Now, I know there are many things that you and I have to do, and a lot of times we don't want to do them, but we do what's necessary because we have to do them. And David probably didn't want to, but he knew that was necessary. And he was well-equipped for the battle. He was well-equipped because God had come to him and the Spirit of the Lord had come to him. And so he knew who he was and he knew who God was, and he was happy to step up and do what God needed doing. And that's all God is asking us to do. The Holy Spirit gives us gifts and, and we need to use them. I, I was with some people earlier this week at a conference and we had breakfast with a pastor and his wife and, and she was telling us the story about someone from their church who is just really gifted in working with children. Just, and she went on and on. It was a, it was a thrilling description. I was, I was so impressed. And you could just visualize in your mind that this person working with children, how the children just flocked to this young lady and, and how she helped them. It was the most remarkable thing. As this pastor's wife told the story, she talked about how she had never seen kids cry because they had to go home to their mother. They loved this woman so much that was their teacher that they just wanted to stay with her for a lot longer. Well, the pastor's wife, as she was describing this, this absolutely thrilling person and what she was doing, she said that this person has a real anointing for children. And it occurred to me when she said that, she used that phrase, anointing for children, that we use that phrase about some people, that they have an anointing for this and are anointing for that. Let me tell you, the Bible says every Christian, every follower of Jesus has an anointing for something. What I hope you will do is discover that anointing and develop that anointing and use that anointing for the kingdom's sake. And if you don't know about that, read Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians 4. They will help you understand that. But God really does have something for you. And David didn't want to have to do that. I'm convinced of that. But he did it because God called him to do it. And in the same way, that we sometimes don't want to do certain things, but if God has gifted us to do it, God has given you gifts in an area of ministry. God has given you gifts to help children, for example, since I use that illustration. If God has given you gifts, then you need to intentionally do what God has given you to do. 
You don't need to do what you can't do. You need to do what you can do. Yes, sometimes we have to do what we would rather not do just because it has to be done. I get that. But you should intentionally spend your time and your energy doing the things that God has gifted you to do because that's his call. That's his anointing on your life. And why would you despise that? Why wouldn't you embrace that? You don't need to be somebody else. You don't need to be jealous of somebody else's abilities. Maybe you're jealous of somebody who works with children really well. Don't be. Just do what God has given you to do. And that will be enough. And that will help us win the victory. And you'll be a champion, a champion in the fight. Well, we talked about this a little bit, but here's another question to consider in the story of David and Goliath. Who was fighting for Israel? Well, it looks like David was, but in reality, it was God. And as I mentioned earlier, this was a clash of gods. That's what they considered it in those days. And it truly, Goliath appeared stronger and David didn't appear strong. But David declared that God is stronger. And so he went out and represented God. And again, could it be that many Christians shrink from stepping out for God? Could it be they shrink from the fight because they don't have absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God? Can't we remind ourselves to stretch toward him? And the more we stretch, won't God help us and give us grace for the things he wants us to do? And don't we have more reason than the people of those days to have confidence in God? Don't we have evidence of resurrection? I mean, they didn't have the resurrection, and we do. We saw what God did at the cross and at the empty tomb. That should spur us on. We have the testimony of the New Testament that greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. That should move us forward. See, God fought for Israel. God will fight for his people today. I'm convinced God is waiting for his people to step up and engage the battle. Because just like in the story of David and Goliath, nothing good happened for God's people until a champion for God stepped forward. And David would not let God be disappointed. David stepped up and said, we're going to win this battle, God and I. And it turned out exactly as David said, that God gave Goliath into David's hand. We need to take courage from that. We need to think about that and not shrink, but stretch to the battle. Well, that's partly the good news and the bad news of, of what's going on today. You know, the good news is that in ancient times, on a number of occasions, we can look and see that God fought for his people and won. You know, God knows how to do that. And he does it in some ways that are sometimes really unexpected. But he stepped up for his people and he won the battle for them. And their faithfulness and God's faithfulness seized the day and overcame evil with good. The bad news is just what I mentioned, that sometimes people forget God. They forget who God is, and they forget who they are. And the story of David and Goliath is here to remind us, we know who God is. God is God. There is no God that can come close to him. There is no God that can tear him down. There is no God that can diminish him. There's nothing that happens that diminishes God. Things might happen to defy God, but that doesn't diminish God. People defy God all the time these days. But God hasn't changed. God hasn't gotten smaller. God doesn't shrink away thinking, oh my, what's going to happen? 
God is God. And we need to remember God is God and not apologize or back down, but say to everybody in a polite, winsome, but characterized by strength and confidence that God is God and we can trust him and we need to. And see, that's related to people forgetting who they are. You know, I don't, I'm not advocating for a bunch of us to be full of ego and, you know, here we are full of spit and vinegar, as they say, we're tough, you know, we're the ones. That's not what I'm saying at all. But when we forget that we are servants of the king, when we forget that the king really is king, when we forget that God is for us and not against us, uh, and doesn't the Bible say that God is for us? Who can be against us? Well, sometimes I think we're against ourselves because we're so reluctant. But we need to be people of courage and confidence, just like David was. Courage and confidence, not because we're so great. You and I, we're not. We're just regular folks. We're, we're probably as normal and ordinary as anybody gets. And the more I meet so-called important people, <laughs> the more I find out they're pretty much like you and pretty much like me. They don't necessarily think so highly of themselves. Uh, some of them do sometimes, but most of them are just regular folks doing what they do, doing the best they can. And we need to be that kind of people too. We need to do the best we can. And remember, God is God and we are his people and we can trust him and we need to stand up and speak up and stretch toward what he's called us to accomplish. See, the, the reason I think that is so important is that this was a battle between armies that we've talked about, the battle between David and Goliath, between the Philistines and the Israelite army. That was a battle between armies, and they were going to have it out, and one was going to win and one was going to lose. There's a battle today, and too many times that we've as followers of Jesus, fail to understand that the battle today is really a battle between good and evil. All of the issues that concern people today, all of the things that make the news, all of the things that discourage people, all of the things that horrify us and say, what can be done? It's really a battle between good and evil. And it's time the church recognized that. And when we recognize that, we can realize that the battle that's going on is a battle between God and evil, and God is going to win, and we need to engage the battle for God. So let me give you a couple of ideas of, of what I mean by that, a couple of illustrations. I've been around long enough to remember that years ago, the abortion issue was not considered political. It was considered moral. It was a question of right and wrong. It was a question of life and death. And it was widely assumed, and it still is today, by the way, in spite of what you hear in the media, it was widely assumed that, that life mattered and we should preserve the life of babies. Think about it. People in Old Testament times, the, the evil ones, engaged in child sacrifice. They would burn their children to their gods. And today we're seeing that people want to kill their preborn children and we call it a political issue. No, that's a, that's a good and evil. There is no other way to frame that. And we need to stand up and say to people, no, this is good and evil. What kind of evil supports killing children? 
let's talk about the, the issue of gender identity. You know, I've heard there are dozens of possible gender identities. I couldn't begin to understand all of that. I haven't tried. But the Bible says that God created people in his image. He created them male and female. That's count them one, two genders. And God says that, that men and women reflect his image. And so it's an evil idea. It's an evil day when people come along and say there are more than two gender identities. It's an evil day when people come along and, and a woman created in the image of God can say, no, I'm going to be a man now and insist that she be treated as a he. Or a man comes along and says, no, God made a mistake. I should have been a woman. I want you to treat me as a woman. What kind of, what kind of evil defies God? Because gender identity is, is at the cellular level. You cannot change. God created you male. You are a man. If God created you female, you are a woman. We should celebrate that. That's a battle between good and evil. There's hardly any other way to describe it. And that bleeds over into sports, where we hear about men who want to be women and compete in women's sports. What, what kind of evil allows that and takes that seriously? You know, we need to recognize that that's not an idea that comes from God. That's an idea that defies what God has said. And we need to stand up for our little girls, for our little boys, and say, no, we're not going to let this happen. We're going to do what God says. And we're going to stand in the gap for them. That's clearly a question of good and evil when we have people doing that. What, what about the erosion of parents' rights? You know, we used to understand that God gave children to parents, and then he expected a lot out of those parents. And they were supposed to make good choices in raising their children. And they were supposed to, to do the right thing by them. And yet over time, we've seen the rights of parents eroded and run down and denigrated. It's an evil idea when we take from parents what God gave them, the privilege and the responsibility to raise their children. And we need to recognize those kinds of things as good versus evil. And it's never a political issue. It's right and wrong. And let's end with one, and this is one that's really a hot button today, but that's this idea of critical race theory. There's no question that this is a racist idea that is dividing our country and badly affecting our children. Critical race theory, in a nutshell, says you are either an oppressor or you are an oppressed person, and it depends on your skin color. And that's clearly a racist idea by definition. And we need to look at that and say, wait a minute, God created people as part of the human race. And we should not let anybody divide us. And this is an evil idea that's going to tear the fabric of our nation apart, that's going to damage, confuse, and deceive our children. And we must not let it happen. This is clearly good versus evil. You see, I'm hopeful. I don't know if I'm quite confident yet, but I'm hopeful that when the church begins to realize that the Battles today are between good and evil in the same way the battle between David and Goliath was between good and evil. The evil gods of Goliath versus the one true living holy God, Yahweh, the God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, good versus evil. 
when we realize what's going on, then maybe the church will step up and engage and say, no more, we are not bowing down to this. Evil must bow before God in the same way the Philistine giant went face down when God took care of business. And it's time for the church to step up because the church doesn't lose until it quits. And we need to develop the kind of spine that has no quit in us. And we need to prevail and press forward and trust in God because we're really talking about what faith is. And faith is absolute confidence in the trustworthiness of God. Can't we believe God to help good prevail and to defeat evil? Isn't that what the Bible is about? about how God desires the good for his people and how he defeats evil. Yes, that's what it's about, and that's what we need to be about, because we're going to be that kind of people that stretch to God's challenge, and we're going to be the kind of people that overcome evil with good. Well, thanks for joining us. So glad you were here. Hope you will step up, and hope you'll come back and join us again next week. Thanks for listening. I'm Pastor Rick Stevens.